Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. How are you at remembering a story? Do you remember it accurately? Maybe there's one aspect of it that you think is the most important and that's the bit that you focus on. Maybe you forget a really critical part. Maybe you forget the story completely and don't think it even happened. Maybe you might embellish it just a little bit. Or maybe you've even added a false emotion to it that maybe wasn't really in the original story. We do all sorts of things to stories over time. When I was 11, I was sitting in school and a magpie landed on the fence out the window. Now, I'm not sure if it was art class, no idea, can't quite remember those details of the story, but I got out my pencil and I sketched the magpie in my book, my lined book. And it was a beautiful sketch, a beautiful sketch of a magpie. And my teacher looked at it and he praised my magpie sketch and I was a bit excited. I wasn't known in the class to be the artist and he looked at it and he said, ah, I'd like to put this in the school magazine. Well, (laughs) I was a bit excited because uh, for me to be chosen to have a, a piece of art to be put in the school magazine was very exciting. But he said, look, you've done it on a lined piece of paper, so can you please draw it again on plain paper? I was like... Well, I did it once. I suppose I can do it again. So I did it again and took my time. And unfortunately, my second magpie (laughs) really wasn't as good as the first. And unfortunately, my teacher put it in the school magazine anyway, but also sort of told me that it wasn't quite that good. (laughs) And, you know, that's the bit that I kind of remember about that story. I remember that uh, I'm not really artistic and that's the bit that I keep telling myself, that I'm not really artistic. And anybody that knows me fairly well will know that that's something that has come out of my mouth a bit, that I'm not really artistic. And that's not really true. Actually, I am. Uh, I can draw. Maybe not to the same amazing scale of others, but that's okay. We're all different, and yeah, I am artistic. But why is it that I've focused on that particular part of the story? Because my teacher did tell me that I had drawn an amazing magpie, and he did tell me that I was quite artistic. Why is it that we focus on one part of the story or another? Why is it that we continue to get consumed by one aspect if we're may be told that we've failed at something? Why is it that we then start to say that we're a failure? Sometimes we even just change a story 
and end up believing that that change really happened. Well, this week, we're continuing on with the Remember When series. Last week, we looked at Ruth, and we followed her as she followed God, and she walked into an unfamiliar environment, and she had every reason to give up, but she followed God, and she followed God as her tapestry was beautifully woven, much more beautifully woven than she could ever have imagined. I wonder if you had a chance to read through the book of Ruth. It's found in the Old Testament, in case you didn't know. It's only four chapters, and if you haven't had a chance yet, I'd encourage you to have a read of the book of Ruth. We looked at Colossians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4 last week, and again, we will look at that passage this week. I want you woven into a tapestry of love, in touch with everything there is to know of God. Then you will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. All the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. And we've been shown the mystery. We also touched on Matthew chapter 6 last week. Let's just have a look at what that is. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So last week we looked at Ruth and we looked at how she had found where her treasure is. She had found how to follow God in an unknown place with unknown people but she was bold in following and doing things that were were quite odd really but she followed the things that she knew she needed to, to to be obedient to God. And this week, we're going to follow Naomi. How do we store up treasures if all we see is failure? Well, let's follow Naomi's story. We're going to start in Bethlehem. And this time, unlike last time, we actually start with Naomi in Bethlehem. Ruth wasn't on the scene as we learnt last week. So we have Elimelech and Naomi with their two sons in Bethlehem. But they have to flee or leave Bethlehem because there's a famine. So as a family, they, they leave Bethlehem and they go to Moab. Moab is a, well, they've decided, a beautiful place. But it's not a place that follows the customs of their homeland. And so it's, it's quite a difficult place for them as a family to live. And after a couple of years, Naomi's husband dies. We're not quite sure what of. It doesn't tell us in the book of Ruth. And then her two sons, they marry local women. And as we found out last week, one of those is Ruth and the other one is Orpah. So they're married to the local women. And over 10 years, there's no children 
born. So if you're in the shoes of Naomi, which we are for this week, well, this is probably not what Naomi was planning. So she has no husband. Her two sons have married the local women who are not from the culture that she has grown up in. She is getting very bitter. Then what happens next? Her two sons die. And all she wants to do is go home and go home alone. So let's have a look at a passage from Ruth chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. So she's talking to her daughters-in-law. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Oh dear. Naomi's not looking too positive, is she? Things are not going the way Naomi had planned for her life. Well, one of the daughters-in-law, Orpah, although she pleaded with Naomi a a little, she decided to go back to her mother and father. But as we learnt last week, Ruth gave an impassioned plea and actually stayed with Naomi and then travelled back to Bethlehem, uh, back to Naomi's homeland of Bethlehem. So... When Naomi comes back to Bethlehem, she seeks out her old friends. So that would have been, you would think, a fantastic experience for Naomi to be able to find her old friends, to be able to rekindle that relationship and to find uh, that beautiful time of friendship and love and connection. Oh, actually, no. That's not what happens. Well, she does find the old friends, but let's see actually what happens in the book of Ruth. What does she say to them as she finds them? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Mara, it actually means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Hang on a sec, brought me back empty? Has she forgot that she's actually come back with Ruth? (laughs) Poor Ruth. I hope she's not next to her. That would be mighty embarrassing for poor Ruth. Um, Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, this is not to say that you can't complain to God because God wants to hear all of our emotions. So I'm not saying that it's not right to um, tell God how we really feel but it's what is becoming part of your identity that is the thing here. And to actually say that you want to be called bitter and that you want to be, uh, that you are saying you're being brought back empty when in fact God has put somebody, put Ruth right there with her, um, that uh, Naomi can't see. Her eyes seem to be closed to what God is actually doing in her life. Well, 
Anyway, so she's got back there, but luckily for her, God has planted Ruth with her. And so Ruth, as we learnt last week, is a woman of action. And so Ruth, unlike Naomi, goes out to the fields. I don't know why Naomi is not joining her, but anyway, uh, to get food. And Ruth meets Boaz, which is a, a relation. And slowly over time, and it takes a couple of months for the harvest time whilst Ruth is getting that food, it, uh, over that time, Naomi seems to be awakened from her cycle of negativity. And, uh, and also, Naomi seems to discover hope again. And in chapter 3, she gives the plan to Ruth to snag Boaz as the husband, and we looked at that last week, so if you missed that, go back and watch it. Um, and it did work. And we skip to the end, and let's see now what the relationship with the women and Naomi is, uh, the friends with Naomi is now, in Ruth chapter 4, verses 14 to 17. Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. So, my, my, hasn't the story changed? Hasn't her narrative changed? She has now got a son. Well, her daughter-in-law's got a son, but it actually says she's got a son. Interesting language. So, the plan, God's plan for Naomi included Ruth, a foreigner, a stranger. And as Naomi accepted Ruth, that, that became the reason that Naomi was accepted back into her society. Naomi was separated from all that was familiar. She was blaming God. She was slow to take action. She labelled herself and she absolutely lived into that label. But she did finally find freedom. So what are you weaving into your tapestry? Let's follow the steps of Naomi's life to see what did she potentially weave into her life as she moved through in, in the different steps. So she left Bethlehem, that would have been a big upheaval. I wonder what her expectations were as she left with her husband and her two sons, her hopes and her dreams, her aspirations for her Jewish family. And then to arrive in this foreign land, 160 kilometres away, a long way from home, well, in those times. And then her husband dies. All of a sudden, the things and the plans that she had for her whole life with her husband to grow old together would have been shattered. Then her sons both decided to marry local women. So many new customs would have been introduced into their home. New religious practices too, maybe. That would have been really difficult for Naomi. What does she do? Does she follow what's happening with her daughters-in-law or does she uh, continue to try and hold on to the traditions and the practices that she's grown up with? What do her sons do? How does she help with her sons? What is she weaving 
into her tapestry? How does she navigate through that time? Are there other friends around that are Jewish that she can help with? We don't know. It doesn't say. We, can't, we can only guess. When her husband has died, does she start to become bitter at this stage? Does the bitterness start to seep in then? Now, usually back then, um, the, the women would have married fairly young and the men would have been a little bit older, maybe 10 years older than the women. And they would have started having children fairly quickly. But in this situation, there were no children uh, birthed for the first, well, for that time, for 10 years after both sons uh, married. It's very unusual. I wonder what Naomi would have been thinking. I wonder what the other people around her would have been thinking about her family. To have two sons that didn't have any children and also that her husband had already died, were they starting to label her? Was there something wrong with that family? Were there things that were starting to be, uh, yeah, like segregation happening? Maybe there was an illness there. It might have started to just get too much. Naomi might have started to be yearning to be home much, much earlier than we first hear about. Her view of the tapestry might have been extremely tattered. But God had brought Ruth into her life. And so God's view of her tapestry was one of hope. God had a much bigger plan for for Naomi. We hear about it at the end, that God had a saving plan for Naomi, a beautiful tapestry. It's just that Naomi couldn't see it. She had her own rhetoric that she kept saying, and she couldn't see any more than that. Have you given yourself a label, like Naomi did, like bitter? Maybe your label that you've given yourself now or in the past might be shame. Maybe you've told yourself that you're no good, that you're a failure, that you're ugly. Are you living into that word? Do you tell it to others when you start to tell stories about things? Is that word popping out as a part of who you are? Do you think that that's who you are? And does it consume you? We've just been learning that that's not what God called out of Naomi. And let me tell you, That's not what God is calling out of you. Do you know, it can be hard to let go of things that have been falsely ruling your life, particularly if it has been falsely ruling your life for a very long time. But God can help. He wants to help. 
He is in charge and he is bigger than anything else. Matthew chapter 19 verse 26 says, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You know, God has given us his word. We, we started with that with Glenda talking about the word and it's time to come again and again to it so that we can remember. We can remember who he is and the promises that he has given to us. He's given us memories as well. He's given us memories to hold on to significant significant events in our own lives or the lives of those around us, of our family and our friends, of his goodness and his love. And we can hold on to these to remember. So I want to finish up with a few verses to hold on to. And you may have your own. And can I encourage you to, if you haven't already, to put these around in a, in a significant place for you. You might have a room that you go into, a, a place that you can have, that, so that you, if you need to be reminded, you can go to that place and claim those promises in the important times when you need that reminder, or on a daily basis that you see them and they're constantly reminding you of your true identity. Not those false things, those false words that that have been in the rhetoric of your mind, but instead the true identity of who God has claimed you to be so that he can weave your tapestry of love. So firstly, I wanted to uh, remind us of a promise that Jared has actually uh, included a few weeks ago for Joshua and for us from Deuteronomy. Be strong, take courage, don't be intimidated, don't give them a second thought because God, your God, is striding ahead of you. He's right there with you. He won't let you down. He won't leave you. And there's one from the prophet Isaiah. This is Isaiah 41.10. Don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And also the Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, the one that we've been started with and will also have here. I want you woven into a tapestry of love, in touch with everything there is, to know of God, then you will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. All the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else, and we've been shown the mystery. There are so many more verses, and you have probably got to your favourites too. But don't stop looking into the word And don't stop making your tapestry the beautiful tapestry that God has for you. 
We want you to have that beautiful tapestry and know that beautiful tapestry and not have the repetitive holes of untruths and unhelpful stories. It's time to stand on the truth. There's a quote from, uh, that I heard from Brene Brown, who's an author, and she was actually quoting from a Papua New Guinea tribe. I don't know how she found this out, but hey. And it says this, knowledge is only a rumour until it lives in the muscle. Knowledge is only a rumour until it lives in the muscle. So how do we take these truths, these things that we have in our word, and get them in the muscle? So we need to know that God has called us for so much more. So let's know it and live it in the muscle. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we thank you. We thank you so much for the truths that you've given us in your word. We thank you, Lord, that you love us, that these lies that have been spoken, that we can throw them away and instead we can hold on to your truth and your love. We thank you, Lord, that you want us to live it and know it in our muscle. We pray, Lord, for those that have been living in these false words for so long. We pray, Lord, that they will be able to lay them down. Right now, Lord, we pray that we will be able to let them go and instead to pick up and hold on to your love and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.